I thought personally if I got it I'd be fine. Young people and sports people we think we'd be okay but the truth is that it can hit any of us hard like. I hate not being able to play GA, not go out and socialise with my friends. The sacrifices are the only way so we really need to help each other along the way. Behind every case there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com Supported by the Government of Ireland. everybody, I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast series three. For those of you that don't know, this is the podcast where I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors and all experts in the field of health and fitness. I'm really excited that you guys are joining me. So without further ado, here we go. Hello everybody and welcome back to series three of the podcast. I'm really excited about my guest today. I met him in passing and I've been waiting for series three to start so I could finally have him on. He is a man that you will probably have seen on TV. You may even have one of his books. He's a fully qualified nutritionist and a Sunday Times bestseller. He is a This Morning regular and the Eat, Shop, Save saviour. Welcome to the podcast, Dale Pinnock. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I know it's very exciting. I, so I met you in passing on this morning. Was it last year? No, it was last beginning year. of this year. It's in January. And I remember um, like reading the, the bit of the script, like that was your brief, and being like, "Oh, I should definitely get Dale on the podcast." <laughs> How did I never think of this? And then I stayed and watched you do your your kind of piece. I think you were you were you were cooking something, but you were talking so knowledgeably and mm. and kind of easily about nutrition that I was like, "Well, that's the ideal guest." So. I guess, um, thanks for coming on. And do you want to introduce yourself to my audience and just explain exactly what it is that you do and how this all came about for you? Well, I mean, I've actually, uh, scary thought, I've actually been in this industry for 26 years now, 27 next year, 27 years next year, which is pretty scary. Uh, you know, when I sometimes do some of these live events and the festivals and sharing the stage with some of these influencers that are around at the minute, I've been in the industry longer than they've been alive. So it makes me kind of feel like you know a bit of a bit of a grandpa of the industry, but you know it's all good. It's all good. So I got into it probably in the same way that most other people do with my you know, due to my own health challenges. For me, it was quite bad acne from the age of about ten or eleven. It was that summer of leaving primary school to go up to secondary school, that time in your life when you just start to become self-aware, you start to compare yourself with the rest of your peers. And then like, lo and behold, I started started breaking out like you wouldn't believe. I went to loads of different doctors and dermatologists and different specialists, tried every manner of lotion and potion you could imagine. And nothing really made a huge amount of difference. Nothing really helped that much. And I got to the age of 15 and I was sat around at my friend's house one night feeling sorry for myself and uh, moaning about my skin. And his mum lent me this book and it's a book called Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond. And she was like, look, unless you change what's going on on the inside, nothing will change on the outside. And obviously as a 15 year old boy right in the middle of the rave era, I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the, the concept just wouldn't, just didn't cross my mind. But to be fair, I was so self-conscious and so really upset by this whole thing. If someone would have told me to like run out in my garden at midnight dressed in tinfoil and it would have worked, I would have tried it. So I, I, I took this book 
And I read it cover to cover in a weekend. And that's when that light bulb moment really came that we can actively engage in our own healthcare. And that's what started it. I, I read over a thousand books. I got completely and utterly obsessed. But at that time, I wasn't particularly academically minded i was more interested in mm. you know attempting to make drum and bass and uh ah! right, and do all of that kind of stuff oh my tunes are hopeless oh my god yeah, don't that, i that's... love drum and bass i love a drum and bass rave it's oh yeah brilliant. absolutely i mean you know i was i was, I was all right as a dj but as a producer i was absolute pants I wasn't I wasn't really that that kind of academically driven, but I was still getting so obsessed with nutrition. It just took over everything. I was like, I think this is where I need to go now. So I yeah, ended up doing my first degree in human nutrition. I did a second degree in herbal medicine. Not that I wanted to be a herbalist, I just wanted to learn more about plant chemistry. And then did a master's degree in nutritional medicine. And now my what I really do is just try and be a like a like a mouthpiece really for sensible, accessible nutrition. I help people make sense of the detail, help people kind of break away from the the popular culture led BS and fadism that, that really is quite rife within the wellness industry and actually guide them on a path towards achievable, attainable, sustainable, healthy eating for, for lifetimes. But my real area of interest is um, how you'd use nutrition as a disease management tool. And that's kind of where the name The Medicinal Chef came from, was like, how can you craft your diet and tweak your diet in a way that's specific to your own unique health concerns and actually use it as a therapeutic modality? And we're not talking about alternatives. We're not talking about not taking medications or any of that kind of nonsense. I'm really not wired that way at all. It yeah. just represents the one thing that the individual can do to actively engage in their own healthcare every single day. I love that. So many things that I want to touch on there. And it's really interesting because I, I completely agree with you in terms of my, um, what's the word, my morals, my ethics, my ethos. I'm like pro-medicine. I am pro-treat, like, you know, medical treatment, surgical treatment for people that, that need it. But, you know, there is a huge gray area before that in kind of epigenetics and what you can do nutritionally yeah. before that you should really kind of explore and look into. But you have to be so careful even just saying that because I think there's a lot of people out there who are very quick to be like eating a plate of spinach doesn't solve everything and it's like no I know that's not yeah that's that's saying. that's what I can <laughs> show up with a little bit of science and uh exactly, uh, exactly. And, and, but you know what I hold my hands up to this it's like look if if I walk outside of my house now and and get hit by a bus I don't want to see broccoli I no. want diamorphine, right? But, <laughs> but this, the, this the thing is, it's all about context. And like you said, like where where modern medicine really excels is in the treatment of acute emergencies. The real strong point for nutrition is the chronic degenerative diseases, the things that certainly pre-COVID at least were putting the biggest amounts of strain on the health system: type two diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease many types of cancers. These are related to lifestyle factors. That's not a point of blame. That's not finger wagging. That's just the environment that we're in, in modern life. That you kind of think, well, if you reverse engineer it, if you do the opposite from a dietary and lifestyle perspective, then it stands to reason that you're putting yourself in a very, very good position for, if not recovery, at least very, very effective management. Uh, amazing points. And it's so true. You know, when 
when kind of COVID first hit and the first lockdown came and, and I think everybody was a bit like, wow, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know, just kind of getting on with it. But there's no way that even in your subconscious mind, you weren't overwhelmed by the, the state of, of the world. And I, I launched um, an online coaching business and it was interesting when we were promoting it. So many people were saying there's more important things going on in the world, guys. You know, this this is this is completely irrelevant right now. People have more important things to worry about. And it was like if you look at the people who are at really high risk of not only um showing symptoms of this, but dying from this. Yes. These are the people who have been neglecting their health and fitness, their nutrition, yeah. uh, their cardiovascular health, you know, um, the aging, you know, kind of trying to offset things like osteoporosis or whatever it might be that come with aging. They are being put in a very vulnerable bracket. And it's like, if not now, when? When are people actually going to sit up and be like, oh, it is important that I'm cardiovascular yeah. fit, that I increase my muscle mass, that I'm nutritionally healthy. And that doesn't mean all day, every day for the rest of your life. It just means that this is something which has to play a kind of a very constant role in in your life how did you find that that what's happened in 2020 kind of showed itself in terms of your line of work um it was one of the busiest times i've had in a long long time because uh, one of the one of the big parts of what i do i run like an online nutrition school so actually giving people an accredited certification a qualification that they can use in 40 countries that went through the roof so so yeah i actually i actually found that it was a very very busy time and certainly from the, from the business point of view but then also from from the 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 kind of response from followers and and people on my mailing list and stuff like that there was a lot of people that were obviously very very afraid in the early stages I mean, I think by now they're like, oh, for God's sake, get on with it. But um, <laughs> like in, yeah. in the early stages, that you know, they were very, very on edge, and you know, a lot of people really wanted to know what can I do for myself. So it's interesting that you know, these are two very, very different reactions. Okay, so look, I've got so many questions for you, and I'm just going to jump right in because Over I know it. the questions that my listeners will want me to ask you. And first question: When you are building a recipe, mm. or even just talking to a client about their kind of dietary intake. Where do you start, um, re the building blocks of good nutrition? Like, wow. how? What's the format? Crikey! Again, again, it all, all comes down to context. So, so two things there. If if I was actually in a one to one environment with a with a client, obviously I would be doing an enormous case history. I would be doing like at least an hour long case history, medical history, all of that kind of stuff to try and ascertain what's going on with them you know potentially at a biochemical level pathophysiological events all of that kind of stuff i would determine what their needs are at that very very almost minutiae level and try and build a protocol around that and that's that really is a very very individual thing quite often if i'm talking on a wider platform then i will i will say to people like start where you're at what i what i mean by that is like okay what are your favorite things to eat if they say, well, I, I love a spaghetti bolognese. Excellent. Right. Okay. What are you going to do now? You're going to make it yourself. But what you're going to do is you're going to reduce the portion size of the actual carbohydrate um, component, the spaghetti, by about half. And then you're going to swap the, the white refined version for the multigrain version. Then you're going to bulk out your ragu with like some red lentils and finely chopped vegetables, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just focusing on simple changes that will make the most amount of difference to that individual. I don't. I really try not to be too one size fits all. You know, yes. you, you see, you see a lot of people, especially in like in the age of the internet and uh, social media, that are like, "This is what you must do." It's like, yes. what do you mean? You have to be keto. 
If you don't go keto, you're oh. going to die. It's clearly obvious. Yeah, there's so much of that, or whatever, or, or, or you have to be plant based, or you have to be macrobiotic, or whatever. They 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 kind of see one particular worldview and try and apply that to everyone. And that isn't a coaching relationship. That isn't a relationship with an individual that is going to bring about change in that individual. You've got to meet the individual where they are. Ultimately, it just comes comes down to what's the, what's going to be the easiest and most comfortable way to transition an individual towards better eating patterns and what's the best way in which to maintain compliance i love that you know even a few seconds in i just wrote down on my notes here subjectivity and then arrow to gem pop and then arrow to books and <laughs> what that says to me is like you're completely right i love my coaching i love the um the coaching side of what i do where i actually have clients that i speak to every single day about everything and i write them files about kind of overarching kind of healthy eating and then and then we make it work for them because it is so subjective as to what people a want b need and c will enjoy which means the will adhere to um it's so so important and then obviously in terms of the gen pop messages and this is why i sometimes struggle with my books and this is why i've written this i wanted to ask you about it i've always really struggled with writing the books because it is a gen pop approach yeah and obviously i know the basics i can talk about the basics of what you need nutritionally and in terms of cardiovascular health and fitness and and kind of why adding muscle mass is such a key key part of longevity of life and I can talk about it and give them plans but there's a part of me that kind of cringes inside every time I do it because I know that I'm not dealing one-on-one with a client is this something that you've had to struggle with given that you are so mainstream but then you are you are also so professional and well qualified no because I think I think it's two different roles and two different jobs um you know it's there's, there's many ways to help people arrive at change and i i because I, I do think there are general public health messages and certain yes. general messages about nutrition that are relevant to, to everyone things like swapping your white carbohydrates for brown um filling up half your plate with non-starchy vegetables because that's where your micronutrients are coming from um yes. reduce refined seed oils and you know reduce omega-6 laden oils increase your intake of omega-3 only cook with olive oil you know some of those kinds of things that are just general little tidbits that you can that you can use to apply to most people but i you know it doesn't it doesn't really phase me a great deal that they're two very very different scenarios for me it's almost like the books would be an introduction to concept the personal relationship is the deep dive yeah, I, I I love that. That's a really nice way of putting it. Acast recommends podcasts we love. I'm Sam Bungie, one of the hosts of West Cork, a story about a community on the far south coast of Ireland that became a kind of paradise for people looking for a fresh start. And nobody knew their past. You could be who you wanted to be rather than who you really were. Then one newcomer was murdered and another was suspected of doing it. I see him in the market and really he's always trying to be normal and trying to get people to like him. But we all know, don't we? Listen to West Cork now on Acast. Acast powers the world's best podcasts, including the Irish History Podcast, The Two Johnnies and the one you're listening to right now.
look, because a lot of people listening are really interested in nutrition and might not yeah. know that much about it yet, just a couple of really easy, simple questions for you. Why would you recommend that somebody chooses a whole wheat or whole grain over white bread or white pasta, number one? And number two, why would the spaghetti component of the of the bolognese be one of the first macronutrients or I should say foods or ingredients that you would pull? Simply, it's about, it's about the glycemic impact. So earlier I, I touched on the some of the, the, the key issues that are really burdening our healthcare system, type 2 diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease. That triad of conditions tends to, tends to sit in the zone of what we call metabolic syndrome. You know, they are in essence metabolic diseases and there's some very, very key things that are driving metabolic disease within the Western diet, the biggest being refined carbohydrates. The refined carbohydrates, white bread, white rice, white pasta, sugary foods and drinks. But the things that, that, are, that are real staples in so many of our diets, I mean, people have, you know, a bowl of cornflakes and a slice of white bread for breakfast, they might have a sandwich and a packet of crisps for lunch, they might have um, mashed potato or pasta or something in the evening. None of these foods are bad. I don't demonize any, any of the foods, but the pattern of consumption is where the problem lies because those kinds of foods they can liberate their glucose very, very easily, which sends your blood sugar levels up. Now, when blood sugar goes up, the body responds by secreting the hormone insulin. Insulin binds to an insulin receptor on the outer surface of our cell. That binding opens a little gateway in, in the cell wall called a glucose transporter and basically allows glucose to enter the cell where it will be used to manufacture ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy source, the fuel source that our cells actually run on. Now, that's what happens in normal circumstances. When you flood your blood sugar, when blood sugar goes up very, very high, very, very quickly, yes, that event absolutely takes place. The first thing that happens is you get the insulin spike and you get that glucose uptake, but our cells have a cutoff point. Our cells can get full and they completely lock the gates once they're full because they can, they're very susceptible to something called glucotoxicity, um, which is where excess glucose can oxidize and damage genetic material. So once the cell has actually got to that saturation point, it can't take it up any more glucose. So the next thing that will happen is a small amount of it will get turned into a storage form of glucose called glycogen, which gets stored in skeletal muscle in the liver. But we've only got a very kind of small capacity to do that. If the blood sugar is still really, really high, blood sugar that's too high or too low, both life-threatening states. So the body's got very effective ways of dealing with both scenarios. So once our cells are full, once our glycogen levels are topped up, any excess blood sugar needs to be gotten out of the way pretty quickly. So it gets sent to the liver and converted into something called triacylglycerol, otherwise known as triglycerides. Triglycerides are a fatty substance that are very, very effectively stored. And where are they stored? They're stored in the adipose tissue, particularly around the abdomen. When you start to see that abdominal weight gain, that's when you know that, that it's probably due to um, excess insulin and high blood sugar. So two things there. Firstly, that's obviously making you put on weight. Secondly, those triglycerides have to be transported from the liver to the adipose tissue via the cardiovascular system. They have to travel through the bloodstream. That sends blood lipids up. That sends cholesterol up, particularly um, HDL cholesterol that can be problematic. Those fats can oxidize. That oxidation can cause damage to the vessels of, you know, the, the walls of the blood vessels. And that sets the stage for cardiovascular disease, for things like atheroma formation. So you can start to see how all of these things already are starting, starting to kind of link together. But then you've got the third and final thing 
this isn't going to happen if one day you just have a pig out. I need to kind of make this obvious. If one day you just... <laughs> If you do, just stuff your face, you're not going to die. It's not like this is going to happen rapidly. This is like physiological ad- adaptation over time. But it's that pattern, that constant pattern of, you know, these refined carbohydrates over weeks, months, years, that all of these events start to take place. So already we've seen that it can make you put on weight. It can actually increase your susceptibility to cardiovascular disease. Then you've got the third badger, right? The third one is if you're constantly pushing insulin up, after a while, the insulin receptor is going to be like, I think something's wrong here. So I'm just going to ignore this signal. We start to become insulin resistant, okay? Which means the, the insulin has to shout louder to be heard, basically. So the first thing that we do is we start to pump out a little bit more insulin, and that works for a little while. But if we're still kind of driving those physiological events, then after a while, the whole thing starts to break down. And we just can't listen to what insulin's saying. That means blood sugar gets even higher for longer. Our cells don't really have the capacity to take in as much as they were able to. So all of those things like the increased weight gain or you know increased blood lipids, et cetera, start to happen. But also... Yes the pancreas can start to get damaged. You start to, so, so when, when someone's insulin resistant, they call that pre-diabetes. When they go beyond that and they start to get pancreatic damage via glucotoxicity, so excess glucose causing damage to the pancreas, that's when they move into type 2 diabetes. The fastest way to turn that around is to cut out some of the key drivers. Instead, I mean, I, I do follow quite a low-carbohydrate diet. I mean, the carbs I do have, it would be like a bit of brown rice or some, you know, some sweet potato or something like that. Opt for the multigrain versions. Brown rice, brown multigrain pastas, those kinds of things. Because they've got a very, very high fiber content, there has to be much more digestive effort to liberate that glucose. I think everybody's got a little bit of a taster of Dale's nutrition course. So so there you go. If you're <laughs> if you found that interesting, then which, you know, I'm hoping if you're listening to this, you definitely did, then um have a look into it. But and I even like I've written notes on like kind of leptin, um, you know, when things yeah. get stored is body fat, and then how you you get into a really vicious cycle because um, you know, your the more body fat stores you have, the more your leptin levels can increase. That, that's your hunger hormone. So then you want to eat more, yeah. and then round and round and round and round you go. And obviously, then we can talk about like ghrelin. Um, yeah. So your satiety hormone then yeah. gets impacted. So then you never feel full. You know that there are a lot of people out there who really misunderstand obesity, and yeah. I think they look at it and they're like how could that person not be making a change? And it's like, well, what started as quote unquote normal ended up being dangerous. And now they're in a really vicious cycle of yeah. hormonal secretion and 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 uh, behavioral neurological responses to that. Yes. And then you're, you need a lot of help when you're at that yeah, point. Yeah. And, um, and the worst thing, you're talking about misunderstandings of obesity. If I see one more PT going on TV saying, well, you just eat less calories. It's that simple. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I love no, it's not, that. you cretinous two-minute, <laughs> don't get me started because I'll use bad language. But it does drive, drive me crazy because, yes, the statement that when you use more calories than you store, you lose weight is absolutely true. That doesn't equate to eat less and move more. That's like saying, I'm going to put 50 quid's worth of, of petrol in my car, but I want to do a 100 quid journey. Yeah. You know, it's completely yeah. and utterly moronic and it completely goes in the face of metabolic science. And that's why they jump on that bandwagon, because metabolic science is too hard for them. Do you know what I mean? It's actually go and study it, mate. So obviously you spoke spoke about like leptin and ghrelin and all those, those kinds of things. But even something as simple as insulin, when insulin is raised, triglycerides will not 
exit the um, the adipocytes. I mean, this is stuff yeah. that's hardwired into our genetics. So we were able to survive when we were living on the yes. Serengeti. As we developed as a species, we had times of feast or famine. So we had to have very, very specific physiological mechanisms that actually allow us to be able to cope with those extremes you know that is part of the you know the human species and what they're what they're all about don't focus on arbitrary numbers substrate is king so basically you know in in chemistry terms substrate is the thing that feeds into a reaction okay and feeds into a process to make a certain outcome happen if you have 300 calories of white bread 300 calories of broccoli and 300 calories of steak. If you seriously believe that those are going to have the same effects and the same physiological responses, you have no right doing your job. I love you for saying this. So I get this all the time with muscle protein synthesis, obviously, because of what I do. It's interesting, actually. I had Sophie Medlin on, and we we kind of got talking about the all calories are created equal arguments for and against that statement. Do you want to tell me how you feel about that statement? I think I can guess. <laughs> I mean, firstly, let's, let's, let's think about how ludicrous using it as a marker is. How many people know how calories are actually measured? It's put into a device called a bomb calorimeter. A bomb calorimeter is like an ex, uh, an enclosed chamber where a sample of food is placed within a vessel of water, and that food is incinerated and turned into ash. Then you you know you measure like the amount of change in temperature in the water, and that's your calories. Now, already like the 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 more astute amongst us should be asking a few questions. Right when you eat. I've never, I've never had ash come out my ass the next day. I've, I mean, like you know, I've had a few, I've had a few curries that have made me think I was quite close to a combustion reaction, but that's You're not never that thermogenic, bro. You know, you know that there is stuff that isn't absorbed. So that value that's being given to you from basically releasing the energy from every kind of chemical bond in that material doesn't represent the amount of energy that can be gleaned from that food in the body. As we said, how do these how does the food stuff that's providing the calories actually influence your physiology? Does it send your blood sugar through the roof very very quickly? We get that whole knock-on effect of um stuff that I spoke about earlier or does it barely change blood sugar whatsoever? So if you if if you eat fat for example, that doesn't raise blood glucose one iota. Protein can you can you can get um, gluco, gluconeogenesis yeah, genesis. from um, you know a, a very high protein diet. All of these things behave differently, and this is what we this is what we need to drum home to people. Yes, absolutely. The statement that when you burn more than you store, you lose weight. I mean, that's kind of no shit, Sherlock. But that that doesn't mean that our way of doing that comes from basically neglecting our nutritional needs, self-deprivation, et cetera, et cetera. It's understanding how the food you eat influences your body, you know, and actually yeah. understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Obviously, you know, you are on you're on quite a big sounding stage. You know, you're doing some pretty big shows and yeah. and you have amazing books out there. But I absolutely love that like you're you're setting out a map for people who really want to learn about how the body works. And they should. I mean, I really truly one of the most annoying questions I get asked is um, 
a lot of the time I have no problems at all with vegans. I'll just start by saying that no problems at all. But I get really irritated if they'll come to me and they'll say, how can I get more protein in this meal? And I'm like, you should have done that research because if you made that decision and your body is the only place you have to live in, you better make sure that you know how to take care of it. So of course I'll answer because I am qualified and I do want to help them because that's, I think that's partly why we get into it in the first place is to help people. Do you find that people are often maybe a bit too lazy about about doing their research and taking care of their body? I think the people that have got into it for health reasons aren't. What yeah. I think people can often feel is overwhelmed. Um, and especially in the internet age and the, you know, the age of opinion before fact. Yes. People are overwhelmed by so many differing opinions and ideas and options. And, and also, I mean, nutrition as a subject is dichotomous. Yes. It can overwhelm a lot of people, especially if they're right at the beginning of their of their journeys. And I think, you know, I think it's important that we do sort of take the right kind of time with them and um, point them in the right directions. Interesting. I have a question here for you. I think every professional in the field is a little bit worried about some of the mainstream messages around health and fitness right now. I mentioned I spoke to Sophie Medlin last week and she feels that the influencer culture is so inappropriately bleeding and even kind of dominating uh, physiological health and fitness waters right now. She's actually started a petition um, that she wants people to sign that actually has a lot more regulation around influencers and and health messages on social media, which I've signed and I implore everybody else to. For me, uh, I obviously help a lot of women uh, lose body fat or get in shape. And I'm coming up against a lot of anti-diet kind of pro self-love messaging, which actually verges from time to time on just plain ignorance and and kind of encourages yeah. unhealthy behaviors with food. Um, what are you finding to be the most frustrating and or worrying messages that are floating around in the mainstream media or social media world right now? My big bugbear, obviously, is the is the calorie thing that we've just spoken about. Yeah. Sometimes with, with the vegan thing, now I, I have to be honest, I, I was vegan for 20 years, okay? Wow. I'm not anymore. I'm not anymore at all. And there's certainly a culture at the minute that believes that the vegan diet is the thing that will make you live forever and is the answer to every single health issue known to man. It really isn't this panacea. There is no ultimate diet. There is no ultimate panacea. It's like, you know, it's it's an absolute no-brainer, a complete and utter no-brainer that if you build your diet around more minimally processed whole plant foods you're going to be healthier for it for a myriad of reasons. I've even got a plant-based book coming out next year, actually highlighting all of the benefits that are there. But also I discuss some of the shortcomings as well. And like, if you're aware of it, I think if people have made the choice because of um, animal welfare issues, we have no place to say anything because, you know, that's a, a very, very beautiful and very, very noble reason for making that change. If people are doing it because they think it's going to be the ultimate health utopia that some of these kind of online documentaries and stuff have, have placed it as being, then they might be disappointed. So so that's that's one. Uh, the influencer culture does bother me. I mean, especially things like Instagram, it's so aesthetically led. Okay, it's superficial. It is superficial. I find it a great platform. But, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fully accepting of the fact that I ain't David Gandhi, right? But that is like why... 
so many of these accounts get massive, massive attention because of the way that the people look rather than the actual messaging. And I, I really do want to reach out to, you know, things like journalists and people like that that will use these people as figureheads or spokespeople in their articles and in things that they do because they've got like 500,000 people that follow them because really they just want to fuck them rather than actually listen yeah, to what they say, right? But like, what what are they doing to help change people's lives? That's the those are the those are the things that really kind of drive me crazy about that influencer culture. It's like, what influence are they having? Yes, because if you're building your career on the way that your butt looks, then in ten <laughs> years, love, you better make a lot of money now because ten years, <laughs> game over. But if you build ten your years career, and two babies later, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> if you build your career around actually bringing value into people's lives if your fundamental focus is on helping people achieve whatever it is that you your particular area that you're focused on then you'll always be around i mean i realize that i've kind of gone on to a bit of a tangent there but i mean no i love it i love what you're saying you know that's one of the things that frustrates me about the modern culture whereas you look at there are so many incredible accounts out there people doing incredible work that are just putting you know, beautiful things into the world. They're actually putting things into the world that can actually help help us to get better, help us to kind of cope better as a species, help us to actually be a little bit healthier, build better relationships. But you have to wade through all of the the nonsense. And unfortunately, the nonsense is what's picked up by the mainstream just because the oh, followers yeah. are there. It's like, oh, this person must be on trend at the minute. Let's just, you know, let's, let's give them a, a six-part series. Yeah. And then you ask them yeah. an actual question about the science and it's like, well, no, no. I'll show you something we can do with avocado, though. (laughs) Yeah, avocado and poached eggs on toast for the win. Don't forget your morning berry shake. Yeah, I I love that. That's such a good point in terms of what are these people influencing? And I've said this on so many. I've said this on every single series of the podcast I've done so far. It breaks me inside that Mm. I put up a photo of myself in a bikini and I'll get 5,000 likes. And I'll put up a post on NEAT, you know, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which takes me an hour to put together in slides and make it look good for Instagram because God forbid we just put text up there and I'll be lucky if I get 500 likes. And it's so upsetting because I got into what I do now because I fell in love with, with weightlifting. I then, just like you said, I fell in love with nutrition. That's the thing that kept me interested and keeps me interested because there's only so much in terms of exercise science that you can, you know, there's only so far you can go. Nutrition is like this never ending chain reaction um, that I just love learning about. It's a rabbit hole. But it is very depressing to me that it doesn't really see, no one really seems to care how. They just want to look at the end result. I didn't think of it that way, of risking your life going to work. But seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking. Please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier. And then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. I have a question here, and again, I think this now is the right time to ask you this. As if I'm following you on Instagram, I get a real wisdom and almost a humanitarianism in your approach to all of this. I just wanted you to kind of speak on your views of healthy body, healthy mind, healthy life, happiness, Um, because I think that you you might have some things to say about it. Wow, it's it's quite a profound one. I mean, 
all of these things are obviously so interlinked. But I mean, certainly with with uh, the happiness thing, this is this is something that's been like a real sort of I've been asking myself more and more questions about in the last few years because the last few years have been you know some of the some of the most challenging in my life to be honest mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been a practicing buddhist for, uh, since i was 20 and i've you know i've been very interested in in applying buddhist dharma to the way that i kind of live my life and do the, you know the things that i do but the, the whole thing the whole thing of of happiness it's something i really really took for granted and always thought was was just such a given because like, i i found a career that i loved and i was doing all right at it and you know so many good things were happening and then other parts of my life went to shit like i lost my best friend then my dad passed away as well then i had like a, the most ugly kind of crazy um business breakdown like with these business partners that i had and all of this stuff in a very very short period of time so i started kicking my own ass i started you know hitting the bottle and doing stupid shit that i shouldn't have been doing and just got into this this whole cycle where i felt so far removed from all of the things that used to make me feel good what it taught me i think was like because i became so focused on you know just this one one thing in my life because for me, I was one. Of, I was one of those people that when I was at school, I never, I, I never truly fit into one kind of area or the other. I was always like a slightly a little bit of a buffoon or a little bit of an outsider in all of those those kind of areas, proper in between, all right. And I never really found my thing, and that always made me very, very self conscious. And like when I was younger, I always thought that I wasn't going to amount to anything. Da, 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 da. And then I found nutrition. I kind of found my thing, and it's like it became my obsessive focus for so many years that I neglected to actually stop and smell the flowers and and figure out the things that made me happy as an individual outside of that and also nurture important relationships and all of these things i took so many other aspects of my life for granted and when that rug was pulled from underneath me and those things went i wasn't expecting to feel as bad as i felt and it just knocked me out of everything and people that have been following me for a while would have seen would have seen changes in me would have seen things going on because i did after a while get you know followers and stuff messaging me saying are you all right you know what's going on i really went down some very 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 dark roads internally and it's made me kind of it put me on you because i mean completely the other side of it now and like in in this sort of wonderful place and wonderful position now with a new kind of vigor and a new perspective and focusing on more important things and that you know that 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 kind of understanding of what happiness actually is has changed quite drastically i've kind of come full circle one of the things that can happen when you achieve a certain level of success as well is you can become extremely extremely isolated it's almost like you know it's almost like that's that scene in only fools and horses when del and rodney have, have sold that that watch they're millionaires they're living in this amazing house and del's just walking about his house and it's like well now what now yeah. yeah what the hell do i what the hell do i do and i heard i heard tim ferris talking about this as well and i'd got to a point you know the last couple of years have been bloody good on on you know in in that respect but it, it's not how i thought it was going to be yeah right Never. it's not how i thought it was going to be i thought it was going to be the answer to all the problems i thought it was going to you know it's going to be this ultimate utopia if anything, it just left more and more spaces and more and more gaps in my life. Because it's like, well, well, now what? Because of exactly what I said, I spent such a long time just focusing on this, this kind of the, you know, the success goal and everything else that I, I, I didn't water the rest of my garden. 
Yes. Yeah, that's that's really what it came down to. And 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 I think that's probably what I was trying to say in a very arse about face way. And I think ultimately that's that's where that's where that kind of happiness will come from, especially for people that, you know, that have got to certain points in their career as well. You see this a lot. Usually that's when you start to see a lot of people crumble and then yeah. that becomes a very lonely place. I think it's such an important thing to talk about. And I think it's it's something that a lot of people have to go through, potentially not everybody. You know, I say, for example, like this is something that I've gone through, uh, definitely. Yeah. And it's so funny because then I look at somebody like my brother, who's really successful, who has like a thriving social life. He's got like a little family growing. Like it just seems like all of his boxes are ticked. And yeah. so I don't think it does happen for everybody. But I was that person and I am that person where when I get my sights on something, I kind of get tunnel vision. Yeah. And what happens is whether I do get there or I don't get there, after a long time uh, in that tunnel, everything else falls away. And yeah. you you have to stop and be like, oh, fuck, now I'm in trouble. Where do exactly. I have to go? And, and this is the same thing, you know, with my husband retired from rugby. And he basically for his whole life had just put everything on hold, his social life, his, well, do you know what? Mainly just his social life, his ability to, to kind of, take care of himself domestically. All of this went by the wayside because he was focused on being an athlete yeah. and he was going to get his 70th cap for England and his 80th cap for England. And he was going, going, going. And then in June last year, he retired and watching the fallout from that yeah. wasn't anything like I expected or anything like I've been told to expect because he had his own journey that he had to go on. But watching that was, I mean, a, a revelation. And it, you're completely right. People are of a type um, when they get to that goal or even if they don't quite get there, you can find yourself deeply alone. Yes. Um, and I think it's a wonderful message to put out there to yeah. nurture your relationships and nurture the the entirety of your garden, yeah. not just your one flower bed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I love that. Okay, so we're running out of time and I oh. I guess I I have a thing where I like to I like to give all my guests kind of the floor at the end of our of our chat. So I'm just going to give you the floor to say whatever you want to say. You can promote anything that you want to promote or you can leave people with a, a message that you think is important. It's completely up to you, but just talk and then we'll and then we'll say our goodbyes. Okay, well I'll I'll, I'll give two two pointers that I mean, certainly for people that are at the beginning of their journey can maybe put to use. If you're right at the beginning of, of your journey and you're wanting to, to kind of transition into healthier habits, two things to, to really, really help you. The first thing is change one thing. So rather than trying to just give up everything overnight or change everything overnight or go from like, you know, living on dominoes and beer to suddenly becoming like a, a raw food yogi overnight, it ain't going to happen. You might do it for three or four days, but the intensity of that level of change for most of us, too much. And that's why people fall by the wayside. So choose one thing. This could be, this could be something that, that, you know, on the face of it seems quite small and, and potentially like meaningless. It could be like, okay, I'm going to commit to always having a good breakfast every day. I'm going to commit to just snacking on a couple of pieces of fruit between meals rather than sugary crap. I'm going to commit to at least one meal a day being a home-cooked meal. Whatever. Choose one thing that you know that you can achieve and then do it over and over and over and over again. Make it the norm. Once it becomes the norm, once it becomes just part of what you do, change something else. Yeah. And then change something else and then change something else. So you're constantly moving the goalposts. This may seem like baby steps, but when you look back over six or 12 months, you'll realize that you've achieved what the kind of thing that you and I always encourage people to to aim for, lifestyle change. But it's a much more comfortable 
a much more effective way of actually getting to that endpoint. So that's that's the first thing. Change one thing, and then this one. This one is a absolute pile driver for when you're struggling. Okay, I'll say right at the beginning. If you're if you're deciding that you want to make change, why do you want to make the change? Understand your why. Why do you want to do this? For a lot of the people that I work with, it's like they've had a shock diagnosis. They've had a routine blood test and it's found that, you know, there's there's things present that, that they didn't realize were there before. And they, you know, they're, they're shocked into realizing, you know, it's, it's the rocket up their ass that they need. Whatever it is, yeah. whatever it is that's kind of made you think, right, I need to I need to make this change. Write it down. Put a visual, put it on a, on a piece of paper, like a visual cue. It could be a, a circle with a line through it. That doesn't mean anything to anyone else because some of this stuff can be deeply personal. This can this can be yeah. some real deep, gut wrenching, soul searching shit. Okay, when, when you actually create those visual reminders, think about the emotion that you feel and the emotion that you felt particularly at the time that made you want to change. So for the, for those people that you know, like I say, you, you know, as this <laughs> certainly happened to me before, where you look in the mirror and you're like, "What the fucking hell's happened?" That feels absolutely awful. But use that emotion for good for change yeah okay so think about how you felt at that time when you create these visual cues and leave them in key areas and those times where you feel like your motivation is waning those times when you think you know what i can't be asked tonight i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get a pizza whatever when you're at those things when when you're coming up against hurdles that potentially will stop you achieving what you want to achieve i mean if you don't want to do these things don't do them but you know if you if you're wanting to make these commitments when you're coming up against those hurdles that visual cue that's there to kind of bring you back into that emotion. And when you feel that emotion, yeah. you're like, well, fuck that. I don't want to feel like that again. Let's move forward. Let's take the right kind of action. So those two, those two things. Change one thing and understand and remember your why. So those are the two I things. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much because people always say, people start off really motivated because they have that, uh, you know, catalyst for start. Yeah. And then, and then they really start to struggle to maintain it long term. So amazing, amazing tips. Um, and then self-promotion, please continue. <laughs> so listen, if, if any of you guys are interested in learning more about nutrition, if you actually want to, want to get an accredited qualification, but you don't want to go to university, you don't want to spend like three years doing a degree. You want to do something that's going to give you a, a high level of knowledge, but you can do it in your own time. You can take as long as you like. And it's accredited in, well, in over 40 countries Then I do run uh, the Culinary Medicine College. Okay. It's a 100% online diploma. So you could, you know, the fastest it's been done is 11 months, but for most people, it's, it's about 18 months or so. Um, there's links to it on my Instagram. So my Instagram, just the medicinal chef, or you can just look at culinarymedicinecollege.com and get all the information off there. I mean, now I'm tempted to do it and try and best 11 months. I'll do it in 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, guys, honestly, um, Del, this has been one of the most vast kind of array of topics I've had for somebody on a 45 minute podcast episode. I've absolutely loved talking to you. I love all your messages. Thank I you. love everything that you have to say. And I, I, I said this about Sophie Medlin last week, guys, you know, if you are looking for somebody who's an expert in a certain area, please look beyond uh, an influencer and even beyond the PT uh, that has a uh, qualification and actually look for the specialists, look for the people who really know the full spectrum of the answer that you're looking for. And Dale, when it comes to nutrition, is certainly one of those people. So thank you so much for listening. And Dale, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. It was Have awesome. a lovely day. 
that does it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please remember to hit that subscribe button or that follow link so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes are released. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Chloe for more health and fitness posts. Sports Social Podcast Network.